Uh, welcome to 2024. Are you excited about that? Were you excited about 2020 when you, you said, hey, this is the year, right? Sorry, sorry. It's, I'm not going to try to be a downer here tonight, but uh, uh, Debbie and I really, we had a wild New Year's as usual. Uh, we spent the day preparing uh, by each of us separately um, developing colds, and, uh, and it, just, it just got crazier from that moment on, just in, you know, through the evening, and about at midnight, you would have loved to have been there, because uh, Debbie rolled over in her sleep, and I sat up and blew my nose, and I just hope that with our celebration, we didn't bother any of our community uh, condo neighbors or anybody like that. Of course, I live in a 55-plus community, and it's just wild and crazy all the time. And so you can imagine it was nothing but party chaos outside. I looked out the window there, you know, around midnight, and sure enough, not one, but I could see two people in the distance walking their dogs. Uh, it was zany. Forgive me, if I shouldn't have shared that, because I know now you're going to look down on your relatively uh, mundane lives after hearing about our exciting fourth. Uh, <clears throat> New Year's is an interesting holiday to me, and I think it's a mysterious holiday if you think about it. Uh, we're not celebrating freedom as we did on July the 4th. Uh, we're not giving thanks as we do on the last Thursday of every November, or uh, we're not celebrating the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ like we just did recently. So what is New Year's? Why do we celebrate it? Nothing changes when the earth orbits or the sun on that last 24-hour period before January 1st. What's different? Well, I believe we're celebrating hope, specifically the hope of change, uh, that things can be different, and more importantly, that I can be different. G.K. Chesterton wrote this, The object of a new year is not that we should have a new year. It is that we should have a new soul. Unless a man starts afresh about things, he writes, he will certainly do nothing effective. Unless a man be born again, he shall by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. We have an amazingly gracious God, and Chesterton is pointing that out right there because he understood uh, properly that when Jesus, or excuse me, when God in Genesis 1.14, um, since everything was created by the Son, through the Son, created the heavenly bodies, he said that he made them for signs and seasons, for days and years. And uh, so we mark time by... Uh, the changing of the seasons and by the changing of days and by the changing of the years. And we use the heavenly bodies to do that. But another thing, and we'll see this as we get into our passage, um, there's another aspect to time and the changing of time that's important because it's God's mercy to give us days, years, signs, and seasons for fresh starts to give us a new start. In fact, it happens every morning. Uh, the passage I've chosen is kind of an unusual passage, possibly, for a New Year's message. And it's from the book of Lamentations, which is a book of tears, a book of mourning. But we're going to choose one, uh, just a few passages out of it that really give us not only hope, but really instruct our hearts on about who God really is. So if we would all stand, as is our tradition here at Grace Covenant Church, for the reading of this word. We do this, I'll read more passages during it, you won't stand then, but we do this to focus and to honor God at this moment. This is Lamentations 3, verses 19 through 26. 3, 19 through 26, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, 
The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm overwhelmed whenever I attempt to speak on your love because we see through a glass darkly and I see a glimpse of it and just that glimpse overwhelms me and I make another attempt to describe it and always fall so far short. But there will come a day when we will no longer walk by faith but we shall see just as we right now are seen. And at that time, we will, as John said, will be changed because we will see him as he is. I pray tonight, Father, give us a glimpse, maybe even more than a glimpse, Lord. Open up the crack in the door wide enough for us to behold your love uh, for us. That alone can transform us and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. You know, humans, not just believers, but you know, you work with people. Uh, we have an innate desire to grow, but we rarely go about it very well. That's the reason a lot of folks don't change. We all want to change, but we don't seem to change very much. According to Forbes Health, the most common New Year's resolutions are improved fitness, improved mental health, weight loss, and diet. Uh, Debbie's been trying to get me to work out for the last couple of years. I've been telling her I've been thinking about it. <laughs> you know, and they say that exercise never hurt anybody, but my philosophy is why take chances? <laughs> you know, you know there's, I'm in shape, you know. I mean, she talks about my little <clears throat> midsection. I said, well, round is a shape, you know. <laughs> so I got I to gotta live up to Sean's uh, introduction. <laughs> so, so these are the, some of the most common resolutions, no surprise. How long do most of us keep those resolutions? You want to take a guess? Yeah? Again, Forbes Health found that 8% keep, 8% keep their resolutions for at least one month. We don't get through January usually. In fact, failing in our New Year's resolutions is so common that there are unofficial dates now that are cropping up to commemorate our failure, such as January the 17th. You might not, know, might not have known this. It's uh, Ditch New Year's Resolutions Day. Some of you are looking at your calendars and punching that in. Or how about this one, Quitter's Day. Quitter's Day, yeah, which apparently is celebrated on the second Friday of each month. I was tempted to look that one up. That's, uh, that's the same night we're having the praise meeting, so don't you quit on that day, okay? Instead of quitting, we're going to be praying and fasting. But if resolutions don't work, what does? We want to change. We need to grow. And the good news is that true change is indeed possible, but it requires a radically different course. And I want to talk about that. I've titled this message, The Secret Gardener. The Secret Gardener. And we're going to be using a lot of uh, agricultural type of thoughts, uh, metaphors. We're going to focus on three things. The setting, the seed, and the secret. The setting, the seed, and the secret. Let's dive in. The setting. Verse 19, the uh, writer of Lamentations writes, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. This passage is uh, pretty honest about life in the real world. For many, New Year's is uh, it's an escape. It's, a, it's some hours, you know, to maybe go to a party and forget life for a while. Forget our problems. Forget the wormwood and the gall. We live in the midst of a fallen world and 
we're tempted to try to escape it, you know. I think of the Matrix and you know, all that. Some of, I mean, it's going to be an old movie now, isn't it? I thought I'm, I, I try to, you know, be now, but I'm going to have to sit with some of you all and give me some help here. So believers know that life in a fallen world, at least we should know, is a daily challenge, not just a challenge from time to time, but a daily challenge. I'm 72, and uh, every day I can remember has been a challenge, some more than others, some less than others. But if we're going to grow, we have to create the right setting in which we grow. It's interesting that when God created man, he didn't place him in a factory, didn't put him in an office, didn't put him in a room full of computers or something else like that. He placed him in a garden. And when we approach growth, we often look at it almost like an industrial challenge. You know, we think, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, and that's going to happen. And if God doesn't get with the program, I'm upset with him. Pastor, you told me last year I would grow. I'm still not fully mature. What's wrong? We think we can just control it like making a bookshelf. I'll buy some boards, get some glue, etc., etc., etc. Humans, though, are not mechanical devices. We're not widgets that you can make. We're living beings. We're persons. We're very complicated. And like plants and other organisms, we're not built. We grow. And there's a bit of mystery involved in that. I hope I can help with that some. So we can't approach life like a bookshelf. So to grow, there has to be a the proper setting. There has to be a setting of nourishment, water, air, sunlight for natural growth to take place. And without those, nothing grows. Uh, in Mark 4, Jesus uses agricultural metaphors to describe the human soul or the human heart. And he talks about the soil of the heart and how the word of God is like seed. This is very important because this is one of the ways that we grow. So soil compacted, he says there's four kinds of soil. There's soil that's so compacted because it's the, it's the path. And we've all seen paths. If you go through a, um, <clears throat> a, a pasture, Debbie and I went on an adventure, good weather, I think sometime this last year, and we went up through a pasture, and there was a path, and it was hard. And so our souls become hard when they're constantly walked through by the world, by everything. If, you know, I've been in people's homes that have the TV on 24-7. If, if somebody left a TV on my house for like hours, I would, I would probably, I'd probably destroy the thing. I mean, it would drive me up a wall. Um, you know, constant have, and it's on a news channel or so. I mean, some, I have a friend who's a sports guy and it was always sports. But even that, but news, that's like, Suicide on the layaway plan. It's terrible. So anyway, soil compact. Some of you are sitting there going, ooh, I do that. No, do not do that. That tramples down your, your soul, and it makes it hard for the word, the seed to go into your Shallow soil. You know, it looks good, but you don't realize underneath it there are rocks, hidden, hidden loves, hidden idols, things that are more important and so the seed tries to go down, and then what happens? Sun comes out. It's only got two inches of soil. There's a little moisture there, but the sun gets, it gets warm. Moisture's gone. What happens to the plant? It dies. Same thing with uh, soil that's choked. Uh, too many um, plants. You know, Jesus says the word thorns. And so it's choked out by all these competing plants. And we have to look, and he says those are like the worries and the cares of life. Um, you know, we have to look at our lives and see, are we letting things choke out the word? We're talking about growing. Soil that's good is rich soil, soil that's good, and it's been, it's been all these things have been removed. You know, I am the volunteer designated landscaped artist at the church in Capitol Hill. And we have three beds uh, down there, and um, I think, oh, I'm going to go and knock that out like in, you know, an hour. 
and the last time Debbie called me and said, you need to leave before dark. I mean, that's how long I was working. And um, so anyway, um, you learn a lot about this kind of stuff when you start messing with it. Cause all these different things that are underneath the soil, all these things that are growing and trying to grow in there. Dr. Tim Keller talked about why we often return to certain sins. And he said basically this, we haven't repented deeply enough. The seed of God's word hasn't gotten deep enough in our heart to make us love what he loves rather than love that. And so we have to do some more tilling. We have to do some uprooting. We have to do some, uh, some digging. To finish the setting, we need sunlight. We need air. Sun, uh, uh, scientists at Binghamton talk about plants. They're made up of millions and millions of tiny little compartments that are uh, kind of glued together or grown together like Legos. And when they have the right balance of water, air, sunlight, and nutrients, the cells grow and divide. So the same thing is true of us. To create a setting for spiritual growth in 2024, we need sunlight. We need good soil. I just talked about that. But we need sunlight too. You know, the Word of God radiating warmly in our souls. You know, the, the, the terrible thing about the, you know, just staying on the news channel is you're not what you're not getting. Not as much as what you are getting. I mean, that's, that can be bad. But what you're not getting. And so we need the sunlight of God. His, the sunlight of God's word is when I understand the word. I don't just see it. I don't just hear it, but I understand it. Um, you know, when I was young, I used to drink tea, and at the end of the iced tea, southern iced tea, there would be about a half an inch of sugar in the bottom of it. For, I'm from Kentucky and Georgia, yeah. And, I mean, we drank tea, you know, we drank tea. In fact, I've got a little thing here. I got tea. I don't normally drink tea, but I've had a cold, as I mentioned. And so I'm trying to do this for my throat. And tonight I answered the question of whether or not you can put too much honey in tea. This is really amazing. Wow. If honey helps your throat, then I'm healed. So, um... So this, this sunlight of understanding God's word through prayer and meditation, mulling God's word. If your morning devotionals are not, are not good enough to make you mull what you read throughout the day, get rid of it and find some new ones. Amen? Don't just read ditties. Don't just read little you know, promises that are taken out of context, a form of pretext, you know, blah, blah, blah. You want something that makes you Wow. You know, Selah, think about it, mull on it. We need air. Uh, the Holy Spirit is called the pneuma of God, the breath of God. And so we need to interact with the air, with the Holy Spirit. Are you talking to the Holy Spirit? Are you interacting with the Holy Spirit during the day? Be honest. Sometimes I pray to God in the third person, Lord, would you do this for Mark? Mark is really this. Mark is that. You know, it sounds weird and crazy, doesn't it? But it's not. At least to me, it's not. You know, it's like the, uh, if you're uh, in the insane asylum, you know, everything seems right. Like um, to the patients, you know. It's like the, the new psychiatrist who took over a ward and he was meeting the patients and he was telling them his name, Dr. Wilson. Hello, good to meet you. And he got to this one man. He said, um, hi, I'm Dr. Wilson, new doctor. Uh, what is your name? The guy said, I'm Napoleon Bonaparte. And the uh, doctor said, I'm Dr. Wilson. What's your real name? He was indignant. He uh, got out of his bed, with his, stuck his hand in his robe, and he said, I am General Napoleon Bonaparte. And Dr. Wilson said, who told you you were Bonaparte? And he said, God. And the patient in the bed next to him said, I did not. <laughs> so, so a lot of things can make sense to us. But every once in a while we need to get checked out, right? And that's what the word of God is about. <laughs> I've told that before. Debbie's at home going, hi, sweetie. Um, we need water. 
the washing of the water of the word. Amen? We need this. Um, in Isaiah 51.3, God offers us comfort in a world of gall and wormwood. He says this, For the Lord comforts Zion. Zion is God's nickname for his church. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden. Think about that, the Garden of Eden. Her desert like the Garden of the Lord. That's a parallelism. He just said the same thing twice in different ways. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Did you hear that? Joy and gladness. Is joy and gladness in this room tonight? Joy and gladness will be found in her. Amen. This is good stuff. And um, thanksgiving and the voice of song. You heard that earlier. Amen. Praise the Lord. So if we seek him, if we create this setting, he promises to make in our souls a garden that will heal our emotional waste places, our wildernesses, and make them like Eden, like the garden of the Lord. Amen. Uh, that's the kind of joy I want. You know, the world offers all sorts of things. Have you ever seen them offer joy? They offer fun. In fact, I used to go, I used to take my grandson to a place called Fun Land. In Fredericksburg. Have you ever been to a fun land? It's fun. It's a land of fun. It's a land that takes a lot of money to have fun. <laughs> you know, you buy a ticket when you go in, you use the ticket to do everything. So I go in, and first time I bought a ticket of 20 bucks, and that doesn't work. That's like 10 minutes. So, anyway, fun for the grandkids, uh, expensive for the granddad, but I loved it because I was with him. Uh, we'll have joy, gladness, thanksgiving, songs. Our soul will flourish in the midst of a desert. Amen? So that's the setting. Secondly, let's talk about the seed. This is what I want to get to. He says, I call to mind. I call to mind. Remember, he's in this place. He said, my soul is remembering it, and, and uh, it's continual, and I'm down. This is a description of depression. He said, but I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And then what does he call to mind? This is the seed. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. There's that every morning. There's that day, like a season and a day. There's that new start every day. Nothing grows without a seed. Nothing all of us here, because we grew from a seed. We grew from conception. We should ask ourselves, what kind of seed am I sowing in my soul? What am I sowing? And I'm not saying put a bucket over your head, don't ever learn about any news or anything outside the Bible. I'm not saying that. But we know when we've gone from, you know, just catching up on things and whatnot, and we've, we're into something that's really captivating our imagination, and the seed is going into our soul, and it is not sowing joy. It is not sowing life. It is sowing fear and worry or lust or whatever. There's a huge difference between those two. So what kind of seed am I sowing? Am I sowing fear, worry, self-condemnation, legalism, self-salvation, self-congratulations? What am I doing? Some people's prayers li prayer lives would, uh, you know, would, would, um, would depress um, you know, the, uh, a saint. I mean, we, we come into our prayer, instead of finding faith... We just kind of pour out our soul in our, and that's okay. Pour out your soul, but you've got to come to the word of God. What kind of seed am I sowing? In his despair, the author calls to mind God's defining attributes. And these are the seeds he sows in his soul, own soul. And he says, the steadfast love of the Lord. The steadfast love of the Lord. Those two words, actually three words, steadfast love is the word hesed. It refers to God's goodness, kindness, but most of all, his faithfulness. How God acts toward his adopted children. It's his covenantal love. It's how he is faithful to what he has promised. He's faithful in his covenant. He's faithful. And he says that this faithful love of God never ceases. His hesed never ceases. You find this all over the Old Testament, that word. Hesed. 
And then the second phrase is even more poignant. His mercies, and notice that that's plural. His mercies never come to an end. Now that's a Hebrew parallelism. It's part of their poetry. They would say uh, something twice. Sometimes it would be opposite of what was said at first. Sometimes it would extend what is said at first, synonymous. And then sometimes it amplifies or, and, and what it said at first. And so he talks about God's steadfast love, but now he talks about his mercies. And this word is really interesting because it's the Hebrew word raham. And it means the deepest kind of feelings. The King James translates it compassions. Compassions. But the word is a noun and it literally means womb. It's the womb. It's what a mother feels. A new young mother who's a whole person and wants a baby feels emotionally for that child that she begins to feel growing in her womb. There is no deeper kind of love that can be described among human beings. And what he's saying is, the first refers to God's actions, his faithfulness. Now he's referring to God's emotions, his mercies toward us, his emotion toward you is like a mother with a baby in her womb. Wow. That blows me away. That's why the psalm, I think it was the psalmist who said, my mother and father may forsake me, but you will not. Or God said, I will not forsake you. I got it wrong. God said, your mother and father may forsake you, but I won't. What kind of love is this, guys? This is not human God is not just a bigger one of us with more power. He's not like Superman. In his debate with Erasmus once, Luther said to Erasmus, you make God too human. I've never forgotten that phrase. God is other. And be thankful that he is. Because he is so other, he can save us to the uttermost. Amen? Hallelujah. And that's why Jesus said, I've got mine, I've got my sheep in my hand, and nobody can take them out of my hand. Once you're in Jesus' hand, guys, there is n- there's nothing greater, nothing can challenge, nothing can take you out of his hand. Amen? Amen? And so when the bad thing happens, you have a heart attack, car wreck, loved one passes, something else like that, Don't feel like, oh, no, I'm not in God's hand. Nothing can take you out of his hand. So his mercies describe what he feels for you. All of Scripture points to these two aspects of God, his faithfulness and his love, his mercies. And without that, you will never grow. If you try to grow out of fear alone or out of uh, promise of reward alone, you will not grow. You have to come face to face with the love of God to be transformed and to be changed. And it's that kind of seed we want to learn to start sowing into our souls. Notice there's a time frame involved. What's the time frame? They are new when? Wow. You go downstairs, you get your cup of coffee, you sit down in your chair And there's the Lord waiting for you with that absolute new set of mercies. Now, why would he do that? Because we need a new set of mercies. Amen. One of the mercies took place while you were sleeping. Have you ever, and this is rare, you felt so good you didn't want it to go. And you got got to go to sleep. But you felt so good. I mean, that's only happened to me a few times because I'm, kind of, I'm kind of a depressed personality, but um, it's true. <laughs> when we were first married, Debbie said, oh, you're such a life of the party on Sunday. And then I get the dregs on Monday, she says to me. That's not that bad anymore. Well, sometimes. But um, uh, anyway, what was I saying? Uh, <laughs> Oh, happy. So you're going to bed and you're, you're happy and you wake up in the morning. Where's that happy? It's gone. 
isn't it? It's gone. What happened? When you dream at nighttime, um, you're recapitulating everything that happened in symbolic form. That's the reason it's so weird if you actually remember one of them, you know. And so um, you're dreaming, and as you wash through these over and over and over, basically the brain is washed, and you have this fresh new day to step into. You have a blank slate on which to write. And so when you go downstairs, there's the Lord. He's got a whole brand new set of mercies waiting for us, and we need to get hold of those. So they, it's a daily refresh. It means that every morning of 2024, God will be waiting for us to visit him in the garden. And each day, he'll be ready with his faithfulness and tender mercies. Amen. Uh, in mental health care, psychologists identify something called rumination. Some of you are in therapy understand this. Ruminating is a deadly habit that traps people in dark depression. With rumination, the individual locks on to their most negative thoughts, turning them over and over and over again in their mind, creating an emotional death spiral. This is where the writer of Lamentations was in the beginning. He said, remember my affliction, my wanderings, my wormwood, my gall. Wormwood and gall are, uh, represent poison and bitterness. I mean, this is the deepest kind of human pain, emotional pain. And notice there's a progression. There was affliction, but the affliction did not cause what followed. What caused what followed was his fallenness. Because he misinterprets his affliction, which we do very often. When we're afflicted, we say, God, what's going on? What? What? Hey, I thought you... You were going to keep me from this. You were going to take care of me. You are going to da-da-da-da. No, no, no. God doesn't prove his love for us every other day by giving us, helping us win the lottery and, and whatever else. He proves his love for us by sending his only begotten son. And we don't have to make, we shouldn't make him try to do that again. We don't want to go there. Israel did that. Do you still love us? Show us. Prove it. They did it ten times and God said, that's it. You're not going to be able to walk with me into the future. So let's don't do that. He proved his love for us. And when you go through tough times, you have a right, like Job, to say, I don't know why I'm going through this. I don't know what's going on. And I've gone through some tough times, and I've begged God, and I've wept, and I've been in tears, and whatnot. But the thing that sustains me in it is I know he loves me. And he's with me. I had a surgery a few years ago, and I had... And they kept me under a long, long time. And, and sometimes when you got that, all that stuff in your body, it comes out. And when I f finished my medication, you know, they give me medication to take the week after. Uh, I've never been against drugs, by the way. And uh, uh, so I just tell them when I get there, you give me whatever you got, you know, here. I'm yours. I don't, want, I don't like pain. I'm a big baby. So anyway, um, so I quit taking the pain med medication. And I didn't know, but... The, the, the anesthesiology, anesthesia started coming out of my system and it sent me into a full-on anxiety attack for 48 hours. And I went, I tried to call my doctor, couldn't get in touch with him. I went to the pharmacist. He says, you need to take some medication and that'll help you. Well, I thought the medication is what caused this, so I'm not taking it. The one time in my life I turned down drugs. And... Um, <laughs> So my doctor later on said, you should have taken the medicine. I said, well, I will next time. 48 hours, I walked my neighborhood. I walked in our bedroom. I wept. I cried. I, the only thing that comforted me was the love of God. I read passage after passage after passage after passage. Even though I feel like the world is crushing me, you are with me. And it happened again a few days later. Two, day, two times I went through that. I would not wish that on my absolute worst enemy. I wish other stuff on them, but I would never wish that. You know, not bad things. Just, you know, slipping, falling, maybe, I don't know. Something. Not real bad stuff. Just, you know, something. <laughs> so, he said, my soul continually remembers and is bowed down with me. He's ruminating. 
The negative over and over and over and over and over. That's how he got there. He wrongly interpreted his affliction. Then he sinks into wonderings, lostness. I'm lost. God's not anywhere near me. I'm lost. This is immaturity, guys. This is, we got to get over this. And then into an emotional despair, poison and bitterness. He's angry. He's bitter. Should have done this. I wish I hadn't done that. And why, you know, I'm serving God and blah, 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 blah. There's people out there living like that, just living at the fountain of wormwood and gall. But he misinterpreted his affliction. The affliction is never a lack of God's love or care or protection. It is always for our good. If I'm deprived, or if any, it's for my good. If God wanted to give us justice, we'd already be dead. Amen? He is so good. He's, his faithfulness is what? It never ends. His mercies are new. When? Every morning. So he only broke free when he decided to quit sowing the wrong seed in his soul. And he said, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. I don't know how long he was. And this is the last, the secret. So there's the, the setting, the seed, which is the love of God, the mercies of God every morning, and now the secret. The Lord is my portion. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him, to the one who should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. He's moved from uh, ruminating and just helping Satan out with his own soul's destruction to now he's starting to combat the problem. And notice he says, says my soul. Would you say that with me? Says my soul. Listen, you have got to learn to say stuff in the spirit. You've got to learn to say the word of God. You've got to learn to uh, pound the enemy with the truth and assault your own soul with the word of God. Amen? Uh, once I had uh, one of my children who was a young adult, uh, I sensed there was trouble. I didn't know how to deal with it. I was praying about it for, uh, for a few days, and I got in bed one night, and I couldn't get to sleep, and I got up, and I went into the living room, and all of a sudden... I, my soul started to say, and I said, Satan, you take your hands off. And I couldn't yell because people were asleep in the house. I said, you take your hands off of her in the name of Jesus Christ. You take your hands off of her right now. I'm coming against you in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm not coming against you in my own strength, my own righteousness, but I come against you by the blood of the Lamb. And I started praying and I started saying We've got to say sometimes to our soul, no, no. The most pivotal point in my life, I was sitting on this right next to traffic going back and forth in a little town called Bowling Green, Kentucky. I had my bicycle next to me. I wasn't a teenager. I had been in the military. I had been in Nashville making records. And I was now reduced to a bicycle and a job scraping dishes as a busboy. And I sat down and I said, Am I going to go scrape those dishes or am I going to go to California and sell my records there? And there was a real battle in my soul. And cars <laughs> driving by. And I said, Mark, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I said it a little louder. Mark. You are going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Do you understand me? You are going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. You are going to love the Lord. Now get on that bicycle and go scrape dishes to the glory of Jesus Christ. <laughs> if I hadn't said that to my soul, I wouldn't be here tonight. I would have probably, you would have never heard of me. You would have heard of Bishop Brett, though. <laughs> so, what's, where are we headed with this? I want to get, I'm just going to move ahead. There's a mystery to spiritual growth. If we could control it, if we could just hit that, remember Staples 
another old commercial, very old commercial, uh, that had an easy button. Do you all remember that? And that's what we want. We're going to hit that button and there we are, we're sanctified. But God's not interested in simply getting you sanctified because he could just do that. He's interested in you coming to know him. And that means a relationship over a period of time where he proves himself to you over and over and you learn to know him. The capacity of your heart and soul increases to where you know him. Amen? Praise the name of the Lord. So, here's the deal. There's a secret to growth. And it's that, it's the problem that the disciples had when Jesus was prepping them for his departure. And during his last hours, he's saying things to them that they cannot understand. And he says, you know the way, you know the, you know, you know the way. And Thomas begs him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? You ever feel that way with God? I don't know what's going on. Jesus said to him, I am the way <laughs> and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you will know him and have seen him. Then their minds really go tilt, but I won't go there. Back to Mark 4, Jesus tells another parable. The kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. Now, let's apply this to us. We're getting up, we're seeking God, or we're, we're, we're sowing that good seed of the gospel in our souls. We're weeding out the rocks. We're weeding out the, the thorns and the different bushes and different things that are competing with the word of God in our soul. And we're waiting on the Lord like, like the writer of Lamentation. He says, I'm going to do all this. And what does the farmer do? Then he waits. You ever had little kids where you, you teach them about plants and you take the little pot and you put the little seed in and they're staring at it and the, the next morning, they, where is it? They don't understand that it grows slow and that's us. That's you and me. We're like toddlers and we're coming to God with our plant and we're saying, I've had devotions for two weeks straight. What's going on? Nothing but dirt. <laughs> Why am I not perfect? Huh. How it grows. Well, the farmer does his work. He sows his seed, but he doesn't understand how it grows. He just knows it's going to. He has faith because he does this every year. The secret is this. We're not changed by religious formula. We're not changed by self-salvation self projects. Ultimately, we're changed by this. By learning more and more to interact with the living person of Jesus Christ. That's what changes us. One of the reasons I love for kids to have communion, I have friends who have all sorts of doctrines about this. They don't like it. So, well, children don't fully understand. I said, you don't fully understand it. Listen, salvation is as much what God does to us as what we believe. If God depended on our belief to get us to heaven, most of us wouldn't get there. Amen? He's so good. He's so gracious. How much did the thief on the cross know when Jesus said, Today you'll be with me in paradise? Could he recite the Westminster Confession? It was what God did to him rather than what he did for God. And God is changing you according to the pace that he knows is healthy for you. And he's calling, drawing us near to him. Um, here's the secret. He is the gardener, not you. Ultimately, he is the gardener of your soul. And that's good news, guys. That is good news. He's the overseer of our lives and growth. And it's interacting with his never-ending faithfulness and tender mercies. <sighs> The writer of Lamentations finally gets it and he says, the Lord is my portion. Amen. Some of you are into sports and there's a sports figure you would love to meet. If you're into politics, there's a, maybe there's not a politician you want to meet. 
<laughs> that might have worked in, in the past. I'm not sure about today. But, uh, you know, we have maybe a singer that you'd love to meet, a dancer, uh, an actor, or somebody like that. But they're just all dim reflections of Jesus Christ, he, through whom all things were created. We do not understand what we're going to see when we see him. And if we saw him now, if he walked out on this stage glorified in his body, we would just go down like dead people. Because our soul can't handle it. We would just, we'd OD on glory. Just boom. There wouldn't be any slainness. Spirit would just be slain. Gone. Body pop out and you, you can handle it if you don't have a body, but you can't handle it in this body, at least. So he says, he's my portion, so I'll wait for him. You will not wait for the goodies. You won't wait for the stuff. You won't wait for the answered prayer. But you will wait if you know what you're getting for him. It's him that this thing's about. It's knowing him, interacting with him. Those of you who are single and you're longing for that soulmate, he's so much better. I wonder how many of us would just say, look, I'm just going to go ahead and be single. You know, like Paul said, I'm just going to go ahead and do that because I want to know him so much. I want to know him better. There's, there's a lot of people in history have done that. It's not, uh, it's not against the rules, guys. I can't tell you how many believers I've seen through the years who rather than wait to meet him, choose instead religious activity, doctrinal symmetry, missional sacrifice. They stop at the altar of these things and they never get to the one to whom they point. I've got friends who are so caught up in doctrine. Man, they can tell you anything. They've got it perfect, and they think that doctrine serves them. But, on, but like Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the Scriptures because you think in them they have eternal, you have eternal life. But they point to me. I don't have eternal. I love this church. I don't have eternal life in it alone. It helps me. It helps point me. Discipleship doesn't give me everything I need, but it points me. Good doctrine doesn't give, it's not the stopping point. Nobody goes to a restaurant and sits out by the sign. They go to what the sign points toward. You go to the restaurant, you don't say, boy, I love being here. There are people doing that. I love this sign. I love this doctrine. I love this church. I love this uh, religious activity. And they stay there and miss the Holy One of Israel. Jesus promises us this. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And listen, that's not a threat. It's a fact. When I love him, I keep his word. You see that? There's the difference. Like, if you love me, you keep my word. No. If you really love me, you're going to, you just want to, you want to keep my word. Like a young man who falls in love, you know. I didn't go to play basketball one Friday night back when I was playing basketball on Friday night with my buddies. And they said, oh, he's got a girlfriend. She's making him. A, you didn't understand. When you fall in love, there's no making. It's like, what do I want? Those ugly guys or her? <laughs> You guys are flattering yourselves here. Oh, yeah, I want to I play basketball with a group of dunderheads the rest of my life. That's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, okay. <clears throat> Dropped them like a bad habit. The ultimate goal of salvation is, is not settling for good religion, but for him. Uh, when somebody comes up with cancer, they don't say, could somebody recommend a good medical book to me? No. They want to find the best person in the world to help them and who knows what they're doing, who has the power of treatment and knowledge. Guys, let's quit going to the in-between and let's use the in-between to go straight to him. Amen? Here's the deal. Adam and Eve ran. Jesus, and God says, why are you running? Not because he didn't know, but he wanted them to know and wants us to know. And they said, well, we were naked and ashamed. And that's the same reason we're running today. We don't want to go down and face him. But if we understand he doesn't see us anymore naked and ashamed, he has covered us. And the way he covered us with beautiful garments is through the death of his own son. 
He has taken that blood and he's wrapped his righteousness around us. So when we want to run, listen, we can run right toward him because he's always there and his mercies are new every morning. Tomorrow morning, brand new. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray, Lord, help us to run to you. We're like greyhounds. A greyhound will be with its master, loves to be with its master. But if it's not on a leash, someday, one day, it'll take off running. And very often they run so fast and so hard, they're killed by traffic or something else because they were running from the source of safety instead of to it. Help us to not be like that, Lord. Help us to run to you when we see danger or when we see temptation or when we don't know what's going on. Help us to run to you because you're waiting there with a brand new mercy. Maybe a mercy that we've never seen before. Maybe a brand new mercy that we're not familiar with. So Father, I just pray, help us. Help us to seek you, the person of Jesus Christ, and not go through the religious motions, but seek you, the real thing, the real person, the great star, the Rose of Sharon, the only one who knows us and truly, truly, truly loves us. If you've not ever given your life to the Lord and you, you want that garden of your soul renewed, would you raise your hand right now? Is anybody here who doesn't know the Lord? Anybody at all? Okay, good. Anybody else? Would you pray this with me? Let's all pray it out loud so that they can pray with us. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I offer my life to you. I believe in my heart that Jesus was crucified for my sins. Three days later, he was raised from the dead, and now he is Lord over all. I want him to be my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you believe that the rest, you believe that every day the rest of your life. Follow him with your whole heart as best you can. And when you stumble, get back up and do it all over again. Love him and seek him. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to me.